welcome to Paul's Podcast Diary, your weekly glimpse into the life of indie author Paul Teague. Find out how many words got written over the past seven days, hear what's on the planning board, and discover the tips and tools which Paul is using to self-publish his books and get them selling as fast as possible. This is Paul's Podcast Diary, and here's your show host, Paul Teague. Hello and welcome to Paul's Podcast Diary, episode 148 for Saturday the 13th of April 2019. Coming up in today's episode, a five-day warning from KDP Select. I'm back in non-fiction after a quick polish and re-release. I've been doing my taxes, so I'm going to tell you how much income I generated for each book channel over the past year in this UK tax year. And my quest to improve my self-editing skills gathers pace thanks to feedback from listeners to this podcast. Now, I'll let you into a secret about today's show. I'm supposed to be finishing my accounts, but I would rather be doing this. So I've procrastinated my accounts and I'm recording the podcast diary instead. This will be day four of my accounts. So you can imagine it's getting a little bit wearing by now, but they will be finished by the end of today. Let's start with this week's writing progress as ever. Not writing at the moment, as you know, but I have been giving my military science fiction book three, its second pass, and I will finish that today. And I'll just do a couple of extra checky bits and then I will send it over to John and James on Sunday night. So I said I'd have it in by close of play on Sunday the 14th. So I'll just mess around with it a little bit more. But in terms of the reads, the story, uh, what I'll be checking for is um, last minute spelling mistakes. I'll be running it through pro writing aid and things like that. So that's that'll be my last check and then I'll hand it over. And that'll be the three then handed over and then... As I've said before, like boomerangs, I'll come flying back at some point, no doubt with changes or refinements that I need to make. So um, that will be me not doing editing next week, which will be quite nice. Uh, A little break from editing because I've been doing that since January as well, uh, virtually every week. So um, I'm now starting to concentrate. After I've got that editing done, I will start to very quickly and swiftly plan the next thriller series that I'm going to write. And I'm I'm moving ideas around in my head already. The big weekend of work on this will be next weekend, which is an Easter weekend of work. So at the moment, I'm thinking about settings, uh, thinking about stories, characters, and I'm just mulling these over. I'm writing notes left, right and centre, but I'm thinking of scenes and things like that. And I'll tie those that story down uh, next next weekend over the Easter weekend because um, it's a nice kind of relaxing weekend and I'll start to make notes and sketch it out. I think I've got a, I was talking to my wife last night and actually I've been quite inspired by watching the Bay on TV this week. Now Morecambe is an area that I know, in fact, on the Bay TV series, when they go into the police station, if you look carefully, if, you, if you're in the UK and you're watching this, you'll see a church in the background. And I used to teach at the primary school right next to that church. And the other day, I even saw my old classroom window uh, on the TV series. And it's funny, it's been really interesting watching the Bay because it's set in Morecambe. I know Morecambe really, really well. And although I'm not the slightest bit interested in setting it around the boats and the the kind of the water, I all my books are set around northern towns. And I do have a, 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 a very high taste, uh, um, penchant is the word, I think, for um, British seaside resorts and um, already i think don't tell meg yeah don't tell meg has blackpool in it and it has uh, a community that's based loosely on a place called walney and Sillith for caravan parks so i i quite like seaside towns and, and watching the bay has made me think yeah i might quite keen on setting one down there um and years ago my wife and i when we were students in the first year we'd met actually um, we didn't want to separate over the summer holidays, so we got a summer job. And there used to be near Morecambe a place called Hesham, where a nuclear power station is. Interestingly, there used to be a holiday camp, a Pontins holiday camp, and we went to work there for the summer, and uh, for about six or eight weeks over the summer holidays. And I'd, I'd never been to a Pontins holiday camp before, and they used to call the places chalets. And when we turned up, it's not what I call a chalet. <laughs> I had this vision of. Austrian wooden chalets. That's what I had a vision of. When we turned up, it, they were awful places. I'd, I'd never go on holiday in one. Um, this is back in the 80s, of course. And, and that's where we stayed for eight weeks working. Now, it was an amazing time. And we used to take our days off. And, uh, we used to go into Morecambe. And seeing the bay has just made me think of basing a thriller 
around that old holiday camp. And it, the, the holiday camp now, it was, it was, um, I don't know how many years ago, but it's turned into it's a retirement complex now. And I was, well, I was talking with my wife. My wife had the idea actually when I was just chatting it out with her about, I'm, I'm thinking of setting a trilogy over three different decades. And one of them would start, um, as ours did in the eighties with, with, with a group of people who meet in a Pontins holiday camp at that holiday camp, a fictionalized version of it. And there's a, something happens there. And then at different stages of their life, it comes back to haunt them. So that I'm, I've really got a beam upon it about this story at the moment. So that, that's where I'm going. But this is where my stories tend to come from. This is why I always say you've got, you know, you've got to read, but I think you've got to watch telly. You've got to watch series in your genres because all these things get your mind whirring. And that's where I tend to get my ideas from. So when I watch TV these days, I'm pretty well watching TV for ideas. I'm either watching sci-fi or thrillers as, as a general rule and I'm using it to get ideas. Uh, um, and, and just spark new ideas and I tend to put those in my Trello board which is a free software for recording ideas and tasks and then I, I I tend to look at Trello and then see which idea is most attractive at that given time whereas this time it was just it's been watching the bay I've been watching the bay it's the fourth episode last night and, and, it, and that's where my mind is at the moment to do something that's based in in Morecambe, Lancaster, Hesham not on the boats I'm not interested in the fishing and all of that stuff but in that in that sort of seaside community, and maybe around that that holiday camp, and based a lot on my experiences of the eighties when Fran and I were there in the nineteen eighties. So uh, there we go. That's where we're going with the book. But I'm going to start writing a week earlier. I was planning everything out, and the current plan is to write two ninety k books. And I'm go- um, I- I've been messing around with the diary. I want to have the two ninety k books finished by the time I do twenty books. So. I was going to have it done by the summer holidays, but um, 20 books in Edinburgh actually is the week after the summer holidays begin. So I'm going to have 290k books. My plan is to have my 290k books done and, and I should finish the 90k of the second book on the day that I travel to Edinburgh. My train's booked for uh, one o'clock to travel to Edinburgh on that day. So um, I need to have my 5,000 words done on that day. Uh, but that seems like it's a really good point of the distance to finish for the summer to go to 20 books Edinburgh I know that John James and I are planning on having the first of the military sci-fi books released during that week so it's just a really good crescendo week if you want to go to 20 books Edinburgh when I've just got two books written and in editing and I've got one just published that just feels like a really good time to aim for so I'm going to start writing now then to, to get all that squeezed in I need to start writing on Thursday the 25th of April which is only two weeks time um, to get those books of that length fitted in now I could if I need to adapt to two 275k books but as you know I'm a creature of habit and because the the Don't Tell Meg books were written to 90k and they've done so well and been so lucrative for me um, I, I'm just going to recreate the formula and go for 90k books with those Okay, so that's kind of where I am with this week's writing progress. Got lots of news for you. And as I did say at the beginning of this podcast, I'm doing my accounts at the moment. And I know I've given you annual numbers before. And I think those numbers were probably January of one year through to December of another year. But because I've just been doing my accounts and I've been reconciling all the income and outgoings in my software, my accounting software, I can actually give you some numbers um, for income over the last tax year. So this is April 2018 to April 2000 hang on what year is it 2019 yeah okay so this is a a UK tax year um so my Amazon income this year has been 9,297 pounds my draft to digital income has been 3,907 pounds my income from published drive has been 212 pounds so that's that's Google sales now I've also if you remember, I started to list on Google and then I moved to publish drive. So I've also had £108 directly from Google. So my Google Books income for this year has been, what, £320 uh, from, from Google. That's all Google sales, £320 this year. My income from Kobo was £662. And my income from Stripe, which is selling books directly, has been £101. Of course, what I should have done is added all of those up. Um, but it's, I can't remember what it is, but whatever it is. Uh, so Draft to Digital is split out between Barnes & Noble and Apple. But I can tell you that most of that money comes from Apple. Uh, 
So the figures speak for themselves, really, don't they? Amazon is my number one earner uh, by two times, 2.5 times, and then nothing else really comes anywhere near it. Uh, Google is a nice bit of extra income. Kobo is a nice bit of extra income, but really Amazon is the one that earns all the income. So I think, what is that? That's about, I'm just trying to top that up. Nine and a half, or is it about 15,000, something? 14,000, 15,000 of book income um, directly from books. Now, that is over a tax year. Um, and I know that when I calculated at Christmas, I think it was 20,000 from a January to December. It was uh, um, $20,000, £16,000, I think it was. So, you know, just to give you, um, I hope that gives you a feel of, of where I am. So, um, you know, that's four years in, isn't it, with all those books? I, I feel it's, I know it's way better than many people are doing. So I know that if you're if if you're at the hundred dollars a month level, I know you'll be looking at that, saying, you know, that I'd I'd love to be earning that amount from my books. For me, I'm I'm constantly frustrated by that. You know, I I recognise that that's above. I heard a figure the other day. I, I keep hearing different figures for what traditional authors earn, but I'd heard one that was ten thousand pounds a year. I think it was, and I did somebody said four thousand. I'd heard the other day for UK traditional publishers. But I either way, if you want to put a target on it, I have out-earned uh, an average uh, author, um, traditional author. So if you want to mark a milestone, that, that's a milestone, isn't it? Now, remember, that's income. That's gross income. That is not profit. So you've got advertising costs you know my my tax return isn't going to say 16,000 of income it's going to have loads of expenses on there as well for covers for edits for advertising and for, for promotions that that is that is a gross figure not a net figure but because i was able to extract those numbers really easily because of the way i do my accounts because of the way everything is sort of reconciled and labeled i was just very easy it was very easy for me to just run those numbers off for you um, and give you an idea of where we're up to. Um, so I, you know, I'm desperately unhappy with that. Still, um, we all listen to the the podcasts where the authors are earning zillions of of, of dollars a month. Um, it, it still eludes me. The reason that that income is where it is is because I'm getting book bubs. Take the book bubs away; it'll just come crashing down. Um, I, I, I would guess, I would guess that if I didn't do anything now, if I just left it with, with momentum, I would probably be with, with no book bubs, just kind of sitting there. P probably I would be about 400 or 500 a month now. If I didn't, if I didn't do anything, po possibly less, it would probably drop over time, to be honest with you. So it, it, this kind of, this feeling of that it self replenishes, that you've got this, this eager readership that any book you release, people will buy. I still don't feel like I'm anywhere near there at all. It feels like I can only get any results by constantly push, 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 push. Um, there's no element of it being um, evergreen or self-replenishing at the moment. So it is all still hard work, as you hear on these diaries. But I, equally, I know there'll be people listening to those numbers saying, I dream of those numbers. I would be happy to have those numbers. Um, but it's nowhere near um, what I what I want to be um, earning from the books. So this is why you know that I will be looking at rapid release strategies and things like that later in the year, that all, this whole year is a pincer movement towards those rapid release uh, strategies to try and see if we can break that cycle. So uh, there you go. I hope that's useful for you. Um, you know, that's that's definitive figures that are going to the inland revenue but please remember if you are hmrc those are gross they're not net it's be a lot less than that by the time we get down to net figures um but it's very useful for you i think to hear the gross figures okay so general author news i sent out so many lies to beta readers last week i can't remember that i told you this and I, i've never i don't think i've ever done this before i've never done it pre-edit i've only let people see it post-edit before and um, it's been really interesting, actually. I shall do this again. I actually realised that I've got a list of over 60 people now who volunteered to read my books. So I thought, well, I might as well use the blasted thing. So I sent them so many lies, which is my edited version. Remember, I, I wrote this book a year ago. I've done my edits on it, and it's going to Helen Fazal, who I think is going to have her first read, her first edit done on it by end of May, if I remember correctly. Um, so I've had feedback coming back already, which is which is really good. I've had 
can I just tell you though, it's been brilliant. The feedback's been brilliant. I, I tell you in these diaries, I'm terrible with names. I get names mixed up. I get some of my facts mixed up. And, and people have given me a list of the things that I've got wrong, where I've got names wrong and things like that. And it's like, oh, fantastic. This is brilliant. And, um, and then they've, and, and they've thanked me for sending them the story and letting them read it so early, which is brilliant. So I've had some good feedback this week. Um, one of them said, this is a riveting story. I loved it. The story flowed through from the beginning to the end. What can I say about so many lies except, wow, absolutely awesome. Thank you for writing such an excellent story and for letting me be to read it. Uh, I love the explanation of each of the lies from the different perspectives. And Ben, as your main character, was a stroke of genius. You just feel for him caught up in something he was totally oblivious to all his life. Alice is a wonderful character, much stronger than you initially think. Now, I've had some really strong feedback about the character of Alice. And I don't know whether you remember me telling you this. You'll have been, had to listen to the diaries a long time and pay a lot of attention. But Alice is a character with cerebral palsy. I wanted to have a, a character with a disability in the story. But I, I didn't want it to be a big deal. I just wanted her... Uh, they do this really well. If you've seen Breaking Bad... Uh, Walter's son has cerebral palsy and no one ever I don't think in the whole series they ever even mention it It, it's just um, their son has this disability just gets on as people with disabilities do they get on with their lives and it's never part of the plot at all he just has cerebral palsy and and that's most people's experience of, of disabilities they're part of their life they're just integrated in their life and they're not defined by their disability they're a person who has a disability so I was really keen to, to to put um, Alison as a character with cerebral palsy. And it's no part of the plot at all, um, other than that it, it gives her cer- certain constraints on the beach, for instance. Um, so we don't, it's not a big deal at all. But I really liked the character. And I've had some really strong feedback from, I think, everybody who's replied to me so far about the, the character of Alice. So I'm, I'm really pleased about that, because that was something I wanted to I wanted to put into a, a book. I just feel very strongly that... that um, you know, or the what we would call my minority characters, that they should just be written into books as human beings without them being a big deal. They should just be there as they are in our everyday lives. So I'm pleased about the feedback that I've got about Alice. So um, I've had three back so far. So three have been effusive about it. Uh, one said he, he liked the story and uh, couldn't put it down at the end. But it's interesting. I've noticed this in my reviews. Um you get feedback like that where people say it just doesn't stop. You know, you just, it's, it's, you start reading it and you just can't stop reading it. And then every now and then, and I've noticed this in my, in my reviews on Amazon, you get somebody saying it was a really slow start. And, and I look at the reviews and think, were you reading the same book as these other people were? Because my, my books usually start in the first sentence. Um, you, you know, because we're, I, I don't hang around. We, we get straight on with it usually. And, um, with, with, with an inciting incident or an inciting moment or at least, um, a, a, a glimpse as to what the stakes are going to be. Um, and I, and I was talking to my wife about it this morning and I can only assume that, um, in the military science fiction, it's all action. It, it, it's shooting. It's things dropping from ceilings and attacking people. And, and in that book, when I was writing that book, if there was ever uh, a period of dialogue in it, when I'd written, not very much dialogue. I thought, right, time for some action now. Something needs to explode. Something needs to shoot through a portal or something like that because it was an action-oriented book. And I can only assume that with the thrillers that um, some some people are geared to action, people fighting, shooting, that sort of thing. Whereas my psychological thrillers are more about um, relationships and, and conflicts within relationships. So that's where the tension comes from. So there isn't like a dead body on every other page or a gunshot going off. It's all about tension between characters and this sense that there's something coming in the background. And that, that, and that's to me what a psychological thriller is. I'm reading, uh, where have I left it? No, it's not in my study at the moment. I must have left it on the kitchen table. I'm reading a book at the moment. Um, the title of which escapes me, which is annoying, but it's a very um, popular uh, psychological thriller and um, nothing happens in it. Um, no one's dead. So the inciting incident is that the, this lady's daughter has got, um, has walked in front of a bus and she's in a, she's in a coma. And then the rest of the book is about relationships, the past coming back and things. So that, that's what a psychological thriller is. So I can only assume this, this one bit of feedback, which actually did admit saying, you know, I got really into the story and couldn't put it down at the end, but said it was slow to start. Um, I can only assume that those that people, those readers want more action, um, uh, but you know, physical action rather than emotional or 
or relationship action. But you don't get that in a psychological fiction book. If you read a psychological fiction book, there's always obviously a, a murder or an inciting incident or, you know, some, some element of threat in the book. But essentially, psychological thrillers are about people talking, interacting, things happening, people deceiving. That, that's what they're about. They're not wall to wall murder. If you think of Girl on a Train, um, there's only one sort of bit of action in that and that's uh spoiler alert coming up but and it's a long time since i read it but it's the fight in the kitchen if i remember rightly at the end um and that's what a psychological thriller is the rest is suggestion so uh, it's just an observation really that that sometimes um you know most of the time i get people saying couldn't put it down um you know it it started straight away you you you're straight into the plot but then with dogged regularity you get a review and I got one this week from a beta reader saying it was slow to start and you think you know are they reading the same book sometimes but I guess it's just it's just people want different things from different books um but anyhow I've been encouraged by that and I will do that again and hopefully I'll have some more coming back as well I sent my Secret Bunker Trilogy books back to Frostbite Publishing for some formatting tweaks um so I, I got them done by Frostbite Publishing I was very happy with them um, do you remember that I got the secret bunker done? Uh, Helen re-edited it. We put it in the past tense. So I'm much happier with it now. It's in the past tense. But that meant I had to get the, the paperbacks reformatted. It's a very hard format to do because a lot of the, the secret bunker is quite um, bitty. It has lots of short parts in it. And that makes it hard to format. It's, it's fine on a, on a ebook because an ebook is continuous, but on a paperback, you've got all this widows and orphans nonsense that you have to worry about and space on page and layout. And it was too much for me to do in vellum. I tried it in vellum and thought, oh, I'm just going to send this to a professional to do. So I sent it to Frostbite and then, um, I got the proofs done from Amazon. And there were a couple of little things that I looked at and thought, actually, I'm, I'm going to do those differently. So that was not Frostbite getting that. It was me dithering and changing my mind about the way I'd set something out so I got those done again this week and um, they are live again now with what is the final version of the paperbacks it didn't make any difference at all to what's um, on the ebooks but the paperbacks now are in their final version in the past tense which is great I submitted the grid one to bookbub earlier this week and drum roll please I got rejected so the grid got a bookbub six months ago so again, just to remind you, if you're frustrated by the bookbub process, just because you've had one before doesn't mean you're going to get one again. Um, this I've waited my six months. Bookbub rejected the grid this time, even though they accepted it last time. And next Sunday on the 21st of April, I can resubmit the Secret Bunker 1 again. So that'll be my 14th try for the Secret Bunker 1 next Sunday. So there you go. You just have to, you know, some you win, some you lose with bookbub. A couple of kind of techie related things that I just wanted to mention to you. I tried the Amazon transcription service this week. It was just something that popped up in my feed and it's not for the faint hearted. I will warn you about that. Uh, you need to know how to work Amazon AWS, Amazon Web Services, yeah, Amazon AWS, which I've used for years and it's very techie. So steer well away if if you don't like your tech because effectively you have to upload the MP3 file of your audio to AWS. And AWS is quite complicated in that you, you can put it on different servers around the world. It, it, it's a little bit more complicated than usual. Then you have to take the, the URL from the AWS <laughs> server, and then you cut and paste it into Amazon Transcribe. And it will give you a transcription of that audio for you. And I just tried it the other day because I'd seen it in one of my podcast channels. And of course, I'm telling you this because you might also want to do it if you use Dragon Dictation or if you use any kind of dictation. Transcription is extremely expensive. Uh, but Amazon Transcribe gives you, now don't quote me on this, but I'm sure it's 60 minutes per month for free. And then a t a, a, an hour long transcription would probably cost, I think it was about $2 something, which compared to human-based services is a huge saving so i tried it with a podcast episode one of these diary episodes and and you know there are so many asides there are so many pauses in these diary episodes i i would pity a human being who had to listen to this and to turn it into so it sounds like nonsense doesn't it when you're just busking and talking it sounds like absolute nonsense when you see the transcription so 
I kind of got what I expected from the transcription, which was a load of gobbledygook, which is what these diaries are if you if you type them out. Uh, but it was a pretty fair transcription. And I just sent a note to Joanna Penn because I know she's very interested. It's done by AI, by the way. That's why I mentioned it to Joanna Penn. And I just dropped her a note and said, um, had you mentioned this in your podcast? Are you aware of it? And Joanna got back to me and she said, uh, she's using something called Trint. Now, I logged on to Trint. Thinking, All right, let's give that a try. And Trint is £36 a month for three hours of, of upload a month. And that you're, you're, that's a lot cheaper than getting a human being to transcribe, a lot cheaper. But it's still pretty expensive for most people. It's £100 a month for 10 hours. It's, you know, that's quite a lot for most people, I would say. Um, and, and why I was interested in it was for uh, getting transcriptions for the podcast. I'm not paying 100 quid a month to get transcriptions for this podcast. I don't have enough listeners to justify that. Um, but... Um, if I could do it cheaper, $2 a month on Amazon, then I, I very much wouldn't. You get the SEO from that. That's the advantage of, of getting transcriptions. Anyhow, I, um, I logged into Trint on Joanna's recommendation and found out that I'd actually looked at Trint two years ago in 2017. I already had an account and I'd already tried transcribing one of my diaries in Trint. Um, and I looked at the transcription on there and actually Trint is much more accurate. It was a much better transcription so I just thought I'd mention that to you if, in case it's handy if you are transcribing um, I, I, I think in terms of uh, price it, you'd have to look at Amazon Amazon is really really cheap but in terms of accuracy Trint is really accurate now if I had a slightly bigger podcast you know if I had um, a bigger audience so that say Patreon um, was slightly bigger on my podcast I would probably go for that uh, how many hours would I need so I don't I don't really need 10 hours what do I do I do about four hours you see so I would probably go on Trint I could go 36 pounds a month for three hours and then it's 12 hour 12 pound an hour after that so I, I could get Trint at 50 pound a month and then get all my transcriptions done so at that price I would be in on that um, that that would be a fair enough price for me um, but you've got to get this balance between accuracy. I don't want to sit there having to work on it, trying to get the transcription right. The whole point is you want the transcription to be right. But you may find either of those services interesting if you are thinking about or doing transcription. And then a second bit of tech news this week. I wanted to mention that MailerLite now has pop-ups. Now, I pay for this as a separate service. Pop-ups are when you go to a web page. We used to use these in internet marketing. We've used them for years. They're very effective. It's when you go to somebody's web page and then this this pop-up image or graphic appears saying get a free book subscribe now and it's called interruption marketing and a lot of people curse it but it's actually incredibly effective um so i don't care <laughs> you know re really if you come to one of my sites and you listen to my podcast if you don't like a little bit of tech or you're not doing a little bit of tech you're probably in the wrong place because I, I like my geeky stuff now hopefully i don't over geek it but my, my view always is that, you know, really, if you can't take a pop-up on my site, you're probably, we're probably not going to get on very well in terms of my, my mindset. Cause I like, I like this stuff. So pop-ups are incredibly effective. And for the very few people who moan about them, I don't, I don't care. I, I, I'd rather use them. Now, MailChimp has pop-ups, but they're the worst pop-ups on earth. I always tell people when I'm training MailChimp, uh, that they have them, but not to use them. Reason for that is that they're the worst kind of pop-ups are the kind of pop-ups you shouldn't use. And that means that they, you, you could get them to pop up after maybe five or 20 seconds, but they're not clever pop-ups. So what you want to have is clever pop-ups, pop-ups that only come. Um, I, I, when I use pop-ups on my sites, I have pop-ups that put a cookie on your computer. So that if you come to one of my websites the first time, you'll get this pop-up encouraging you, if I've got an offer on, encouraging you to, to register for something. And then it puts a cookie on your computer and you won't get that pop-up for another 30 days. Now, what I really, really hate with pop-ups, this is what you shouldn't do with pop-ups, is where you come on a site and the pop-up gets you every single time you come to the website. It's really, really, really annoying. All right, you shouldn't do that with pop-ups ever. Now, I use something called Thrive Themes for my pop-ups, and it's something I pay for. And it's very, it's a very clever way of doing pop-ups in that it gives you complete control. Um, it allows me to set a cookie on people's computers so you don't see it every time. And therefore, so for instance, if you, if you listen to the Self-Publishing Journeys podcast and you come to my website every week, you don't want to get that pop-up every single time you land on one of my pages. It's going to really annoy regular visitors. But I do want to catch people the first time. I want to try and get their name and email address so that I can market to them in the future. So 
Thrive Themes allows me to cookie people so that they, they don't see my pop-ups too often. Now, um, I just wanted to mention this to you because pop-ups are a really good technique uh, to try and get readers onto your mailing list when they visit your blog. And MailerLite now has pop-ups. And as I say, I, I've always paid for this service because MailChimp was useless. And I used to buy something in the old days when I was internet marketing, I used to use something called pop-up domination. But I've moved more for WordPress and I, I use Thrive Themes now is my preferred tool. Um, but MailerLite introduced pop-ups this week and they're, they're good pop-ups. Now they're not as good as Thrive Themes, obviously, um, because Thrive Themes is a bespoke service for it, but they're pretty good and they're way better than MailChimp. Now the reason they're better than MailChimp, let me just go to the forms and have a look. Pop-ups. Here we go. So the reason I like these pop-ups is because you can delay them so that they wait so many times before somebody sees the pop-up. You can create them so that when a, a, a user scrolls maybe 75% down to the page, they get the pop-up, or this is my preferred way of using them, that it displays when the user attempts to leave your page. They call this exit intent. And I generally prefer exit intent. Now, to me, it's the online equivalent of somebody, when somebody walks in, if you own a bricks and mortar store, if somebody walks through the door, has a look around and walks out, then you haven't engaged with them as a potential customer. And this is why people, when they walk, when you walk into a store, they'll say, can I help you? Is there anything I can do to help you? Are you finding what you're looking for? So, so you've engaged with the customer before they leave the shop empty handed. And, and you should do that in a physical store, obviously. Now, the online equivalent of that is, is using a pop-up. And that is my view. And this is why I like exit intent pop-ups is that they come to the site. Hopefully they find something they like and they listen to a podcast or they read a blog post. And that's absolutely great. And I always have in the top right hand corner, I, I, I will have that um option for them to log in voluntarily without a pop-up but at the point at which they come into your website and they're about to leave this is what we call exit intent when you move your cursor top right to click the x to close down the web page that's what triggers the pop-up and i like those pop-ups because to me that's that they've had chance to engage but for some reason they came to your site for some reason they, they didn't find it or they've got what they found and then that's the time to say can i help you with it's effectively what the pop-up says sign up for my newsletter, get a free gift. So I like exit intent pop-ups. And um, now the only problem with this, I don't know whether, the, I haven't tried it on MailerLite yet. I've only just had a quick look at them. Um, the, the clever bit to pop-ups is having this cookie so that people don't see it every time. That's the, the bit that kind of you really need and that would make me use one of these pop-ups. But um, it's better than MailChimp. That's a much better system than MailChimp. I will tell you that. Um, but still not perfect. Thrive Themes is, is, if you want to be really perfect with it, Thrive Themes is, is really perfect. Um, but it's good. It's really good. And this is why I use MailerLite, incidentally, rather than MailChimp. There's nothing wrong with MailChimp. But as you know, I like services which, um, I like services which are innovative and try new stuff all the time. And I think this is a fabulous thing for, made a light to offer and when you get into the settings in actual fact you know they, they've got some pretty good settings on this and I, I am going to take a, a closer look at it it's gdpr compliant it's all very very um interesting here what's what's going on so if you've got mail light i do urge you to take a look at it to just clock the pop-ups that they're, they're it's very good. It's it's way better than what Mailchimp are offering. Mailchimp are going to have to get their act together again and change things because um, uh, I think MailerLite are giving them a real run for their money at the moment. Um, but if you haven't got MailerLite, maybe you're using Mailchimp. Just um, it is free MailerLite. You could use MailerLite for free up to a thousand subscribers. It may be just be time to take a look at it because I love this constant innovation that they're they're using. It's the kind of service that I like, and I know they've had some problems in the past with one of their servers playing up and deliverability. Um, but I still am more inclined to like MailerLite and what they're doing because I think they're really kind of pushing things uh, in a good way. Um, I got a warning from KDP Select this week. So uh, this was for Don't Tell Meg. If you remember, I've I'd taken Don't Tell Meg off wide distribution. It's in KDP Select at the moment, uh, but the rest of the books, books two and three, are still wide. And do you remember I said to you last week, I, I thought maybe I'd shot myself in the foot because I thought, I, you know, I, I, there's so many things to remember in self-publishing. You have brainstorms sometimes. And I had a brainstorm and, um, you know, thought I could keep my book for free and have it in KDP Select. And 
of course you can't. It's the whole point of being in KDP, KDP Select is that if you want it free, you have a five-day promo. So it was just a, a brainstorm, which I have frequently, as you know. Um, so anyhow, um, what I can tell you is that I am still getting the sales of books two and three through uh, Draft the Digital. So obviously they've slowed now because it's over a month since the the original promo, but I am still, it hasn't really affected um, other than natural degradation of the numbers. It hasn't really affected the, the buy-through that I'm getting on books two and three, either on Amazon or on Draft the Digital. Kobo's uh, kind of dead, I think. I, th- I think Kobo's on life support. Uh, really not, get, nothing's really happening on Kobo at the moment, uh, but the other channels are, are fine. Um, so, I haven't, it doesn't look like I've completely shot myself in the foot, but what I have got, obviously, is I'm getting loads of reads now on Don't Tell Meg. And I did a little promo last week. I did two promos last week. I did one on e-reader news today, and I also did one on BK Nights. So I just gave myself a little push. I had three days of free on KDP Select, gave myself a little push again with those. BK Nights, by the way, I love, I'm very impressed with BK Nights. I've told you it before, I'll tell you it again. Cost you a fiver for a little promo. It's very, very good. It's, you know, for, for the price of it, it's extremely good. As, as good as e-reader news today, I thought BK Nights was. Um, and that's in thrillers, obviously. That's my genre. Um, but they were both fairly cheap promos. But I just, I put three days of free on Don't Tell Meg. Gave them a bit of a push last weekend. And um, and it's kept the kind of read through on books two, three, and all the other options up. So I'm quite kind of happy uh, with that. That I know that my numbers are going to go down, obviously, um, but they're still I'm still going to have an, another good month this month from it. Now the reason I was telling you that is that I got a warning from KDP Select this week saying that my book was still available in Walmart. Walmart, for goodness sake! So I thought, hang on. How, do, how did that get listed in Walmart? Because I didn't put it there. And I then I remembered that Kobo now lists books in Walmart. So I, I clicked on the link that KDP Select had, had sent me. And yes, I am available in Walmart. Um, and the book was still available in Walmart, even though Kobo had, in theory, delisted the book. It was marked as delisted in my Kobo panel. So I wrote to Kobo and, and, and it, I don't know. I don't know. This is a chicken and egg because the next day I looked, it was gone. And when Kobo got to me, they said, oh, it's already gone. So it must just have been a, unlucky with the timing that it had taken a while to get through to Walmart. But anyway, KDP Select gave me five days to sort it out. I had it sorted out overnight, which was good. But again, if you're new to this, just to let you know that Amazon are on the case, that if you are in KDP Select, don't try and cheat the system. Now, I had meticulously gone down. I, I've I've removed all my books on You've, so I've, I've gone back to 10% samples. When you're in KDP Select, you are allowed to give away 10% samples. So on InstaFreebie in my listing and on, not InstaFreebie, Prolific Works. And do you know what? That's a bad sign of branding, incidentally. You know, I said to them they shouldn't rebrand. When people use the old brand name rather than the new brand name, that means your branding, your rebranding hasn't worked. Because um, InstaFreebie was always the best title for it, wasn't it? Anyhow, so apologies for keep saying InstaFreebie. I mean Prolific Works. And Book Funnel. Um, I've only put the 10% samples on book funnel now because I think some people can find them organically um, because you have to abide by the rules with KDP select. Now I thought I had a, 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 all my panels told me I was delisted and I checked all the links that you get in the panels, but Walmart, you don't get a separate link to click in, in draft the digital for you. Uh, sorry, in Kobo, you don't get a check link for Walmart. So I assumed they'd all been taken down and they hadn't. So just to let you know, you will get warnings like that and you do have to act on them quickly. Otherwise, they, they boot you out of KDP Select. The last couple of weeks, I've been talking to you about editing, that I, I want to try and improve editing. And I'd mentioned John Cronshaw's Stop Booking Around book. And I think that's really what sparked it, that jo- John had done a lovely list there of things to check on a self-edit. And it, it just made me think, you, you know what it's like when you're a, a self-publisher, there's so many things to do and you can only do so many things at once. And I, th- I think that really... Uh, ed- editing is is where I want to put my emphasis next um, in, in terms of craft. Um, I feel like I can write a decent story. I'm a kind of four-star-ish kind of writer, but I want to get to 4.7, 4.8 stars. That's that's where I want to be. And to me, that's probably going to be, you know, it's editing and craft, isn't it, to, to move me to that level. Um, so 
very kindly, uh, uh, people have been mentioning self-editing books to me. And I just wanted to give uh, Kate Bammer a shout out today. Hi, Kat. Thanks very much for your emails. I've got great value from your emails this week, I should say, by the way. So Kat um, said, just be listening to the podcast and, and feel with you on the editing. Um, and Kat's given me some resources. So Kat recommended a book called Self-Editing for Fiction Writers. I'll put this on the resources page. It's by Rennie Brown and Dave King. So I've just ordered that. And now this, I, I will say, this looks like it's a bit academic for my tastes. I am going to read it, but it looks a bit um, like it's got too many. It's got checklists. I like I like people to tell me what to do and give me a checklist. That's what I like. And it looks like it's got quite a lot of exercises in it, you know, revisions and things. I thought, well, I'm not doing that, thanks. What's the point of me doing that? Unless I got somebody who could give me, somebody who knows what they're talking about, who can give me feedback on it. I'm not sure there's much point in me doing that. Only when I've got somebody teaching me is there a point in doing that. So there's a lot of exercises there, which I don't think I will be doing other than informally, but it does have checklists and it does have how-to. That's what I want from a book. I want you to tell me what to do, uh, let, give me a checklist, and then I can turn that into action. So th- I've bought that book, and I will work through that book, but I, I think I will skip through that to extract the information. But the the second book that uh, Kat recommended to me, I loved it the minute I looked at it. The, uh, this is my so it's, this is really about how you learn, isn't it? And and, and the second book is is really what I like. So this is a book by C.S. Lakin and many other editors, and it's called Five Editors Tackle the Twelve Fatal Flaws of Fiction Writing. Now, this is my kind of book. Uh, I looked at this and thought, oh, yes, this is perfect for me. And uh, it has examples on and before and afters. You see, that's more valuable to me. Before and after is more valuable to me, whereas exercises are not. I would be happy to do exercises in the context of working with a teacher or a mentor who could then give me feedback about it. But if I'm doing exercises without a mentor, as far as I know, I'm just self-perpetuating the same old mistakes. So in this context, I'd much rather have a before and after where they tell me what to do and I can have a look at it beforehand. But they've got checklists in here. Oh, I love this book. It's, I can, ooh, this is the first one I'm reading. It's it's re- just exactly what I'm looking for. So I'll put the links to those books on this week's show notes. But I can tell you straight away that The 12 Fatal Flaws of Fiction Writing, that's my kind of book. But you see, you might learn in a different way, in which case self-editing for fiction writers might be your kind of book. So I, I'll mention them both. Um, and Kat also mentioned podcast episode 108 of the How Do You Write podcast by Rachel Heron. Now, Rachel Heron is the co-presenter of The Writer's Well, which, if you have the patience to go through my three-year anniversary episodes, was one of the podcasts I was recommending to you. Now, I know Rachel has uh, a separate podcast on her own, but Kat has recommended that I listen to this episode. Now, I haven't got round to it yet, Kat, but it's on my hard, it's on my um, desktop on my computer, the, the link to it, so I can listen to it. Um, but that was also um, a recommended podcast episode to, um, you know, to basically um, learn more about editing. So I will get to that. And I just wanted to thank you. There's some brilliant stuff in there, Kat. I really appreciate you sharing that. And I will share those links on the show notes for this week. Um, I had a little bit of an exchange with Kat, who, who, not satisfied with giving me all that brilliant information, gave me even more brilliant information. And I haven't got, I don't think I've got back to you, Kat, about this one. But um, Kat also said, um, regarding your thrillers, you might enjoy the Writer's Detective Bureau podcast. She said, I find it very useful and I write romance. Now, um, what I tend to do is when somebody recommends something to me, I check it out straight away. And if I think it looks like my kind of thing, if it's a book, I buy it. If it's a podcast, I subscribe to it and I listen and, and see whether it's for me. Now, I subscribe to this Writer's Bureau um what's it called? Writer's Detective Bureau podcast. And it's one of those podcasts where I think, oh, I like this. I instantly like this. It is so, so good. It's a guy who worked in the police of the States for years and people ask him questions about police procedure and things like that. And he answers them. And it's absolutely, the guy's great, really good presentation style. Um, it is American, obviously. Uh, but for instance, um, he was talking in the episode I listened to when I was walking back from work the other day, he was talking about maritime law and if somebody's killed at sea, whose jurisdiction does that come under? 
and that applies to all of us, of course. It was a, an international answer that he gave. It's fascinating stuff. So I can see why Cat listens to it anyway, because actually it's just really, really interesting, even if you write romance as Cat does. And I, I write thrillers, so it's brilliant for me. But if you are writing thrillers or if you're just generally interested in, in procedures and, and law and that sort of thing, it's the Writers Detective Bureau podcast, and I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Uh, but Cat, thank you so much. Really appreciate all that. It's brilliant, brilliant information. And just as a, this is a, a one of the really great byproducts I get out of doing this podcast is that people email me every week. They're always passing on tips. It's just such a useful way of sharing all this brilliant information um, on, on a podcast like this. So it's all on the show notes. It'll all be there for you. I, I mentioned that I'm going to go back to doing monthly guest podcasts, and I'm very, very happy that Kirsten Oliphant has confirmed for my first return to the podcast guest. So this is going to run on May the 6th, but I'm interviewing and recording with Kirsten on Tuesday night, the 16th of April. Now, Kirsten is the lady who I said I've listened to for ages, but primarily I listened to Kirsten when I, when I found the podcast because she was talking about blogging and email marketing and all the kind of marketing-y stuff we need to do. And she was talking about it in a really practical non-geeky way and I got loads of value from those episodes and then she took a break over summer and then when she came back over summer she revealed that she'd been writing to market and that she had tremendous success with her books and I and I loved the podcast before but I'm getting it's just pure gold dust at the moment I know Jerry Evanoff whose podcast I constantly recommend Jerry's also saying the same thing as me how good these episodes are so I've got Kirsten on I need to talk to Kirsten I want to talk to her about everything she's doing uh, because she's she's right where we are you know she started she was making not very much from the books that she'd written she was making you know twenty dollars a month something like that really small amounts and then she buckled down she did right to market she did rapid release and then she's had a ten thousand dollar month now she's not a superstar uh, she is a superstar because she's done that but what i mean is she's not a mark dawson she's not a joanna penn she's not making that kind of income she's making great income but she's a normal person like you and me just a normal writer but making, but doing great things. And she's doing it, doing the sort of things that you and me need to, could do. So one of her techniques is she, she uses book promotion sites. She's not, she's not done a book bub yet. She, she's nervous about a book bub. We'll talk about this in the interview. She didn't, because I was encouraging her to do it. I said, you, you won't, you'll make your money on it. And she's really nervous about a book bub because of how much it costs. I don't think she's done Facebook ads yet. I don't think she's done book bub ads yet. I think she's maybe done some AMS ads. So she's doing this not spending she's spending a lot on um book promo sites because she passionately believes in email marketing um so if you you know i'm recommending this i'm recommending that you check out her podcast but also that you put that date in your diary may the 6th because i can't wait to talk to kirsten because there's so many things i want to ask her because i want you know i really want to pick her brains about what she's doing because she's she's right where you and me are with with the writing um not a superstar but she's also somebody who was earning those $20, $50 a month, struggling to get anything going. And she's really got it going in a, in a way that we would all be happy with at the moment. So very excited to be talking to Kirsten uh, on Tuesday. Um, that's a great one to come back with, with the interviews. Oh, the other person, incidentally, I I'm, I want to get um, Kinga Gentetics on from uh, Published Drive. Now, uh, Kinga reached out to me um at the London Book Fair and was wanting to have a meeting down there. Uh, I'm not quite sure why, presumably because I'm fairly active on Published Drive and I, I've shifted a lot of books recently, um, most of them free, um, but I'm, I've got a lot of books on Published Drive. So I, I assume she was connecting with authors who was, you know, UK authors who were very um, embroiled in her um, platform. As you know, I'm a big and instant fan of Published Drive, but I, I again, I want to talk to Kinga about Published Drive because uh, Published Drive can get you into territories that the other channels can't get you into. Another thing that Published Drive have done in the last couple of weeks is they're now doing royalty share. This is going to be a big thing, and I, I want to talk to, to Kinga about um, royalty share, um, in that you can now... Uh, so, for instance, I, I'm very keen to do this. At the moment, if you do, if you collaborate with somebody, some poor soul has to go through the accounts every month and then uh, and send accounts every month and pay you your bit of the money. I don't really like that. I'm not a fan of that. That I don't like manual systems. I like automated systems. Um, I think they're fairer for everybody. I think they're more transparent for everybody, and you take the human out of it. So I I, I prefer with money automated systems. Uh, and this 
to be fair, is one of the things I'm least confident about doing a collaboration. I would rather have the money in something like Draft a Digital or Publish Drive, where it uh, where it manages it manages the payouts automatically. Um, I just think I think with money matters, it's always easier like that. Um, for instance, uh, for my corporate work, I had an invoice that was forty days over. Right, I can tell you, I don't like getting paid late. I get very agitated when people pay me late. Um, anybody who's ever worked with me will know that I pay instantly when I get an invoice. I pay straight away. I'm a fast payer. I like to be paid fast. I like to pay fast. To me, it's a courtesy. Um, you know, as a freelancer who's invoicing, you've got bills to pay. Um, you've got, uh, you know, you, you've, you've budgeted that money when you've earned it. So to me, it's a courtesy. You pay fast uh, and I like to be paid fast. Um, and uh, so I get very, very jittery if I'm not paid promptly. <laughs> it's, you'll see me at my worst if you haven't paid me and you owe me money um, because I pay promptly. Um, you know, ask anybody who's ever been paid by me. They don't have to wait for their money. And um, and and it's I budget. I If I commission you to do work, I'll have the money to pay you. Um, you know, it's there. That this, this is why I do things as I do them. It's why I'm earning the money for Stuart Beish. Uh, before I get the covers done, because that money will be in the bank. And when Stuart bills me, the money will be in the bank. Uh, uh, that, that's how I like to work with bills. So um, that that's why I prefer automated systems. And Publish Drive now I have one of these automated systems. And when I was booking um, with, uh, I, I did, that's why I did some feedback for Publish Drive the other day. And, and in the form, I said, to me, the next holy grail of a draft of digital or a Smashwords, it's unlikely to be Smashwords, I think, or a published drive, is I want to see somebody really tackling this issue of collaborative payments. So um, I, I'd like to see a, a collaborative payment system whereby, say, me and Fred can write books, I can take care of the marketing, and in the accounting system, it will automatically apportion each month what we've both earned, so 50-50, say, or say 40-60, 40-60 on the book income. And then at the, at the before the, the money's paid, I could then deduct an amount that I've paid, say, for advertising. If I'm paying for the advertising and Fred's not, we can then balance the books automatically. And Fred will then get a bill to say, you are this much from the books minus this much from the advertising. I can attach some receipts if required. And then he gets his net payment. Now, that's the kind of thing we need in a software. And I'm going to talk to Kinga about this when, when she comes on, because I get the you know the people who are going to do it are either Draft or Digital or Publish Drive. And this is why I, I support both of those pla- platforms, because they're innovative. They're the kind of people who really want to get to grips with this. And um, so th- this is another joy of doing podcasts like this, that you can talk to people who are influencers. Um, but that, to me, that's the next kind of holy grail for collaboration, a clever collaborative tool that will allow you to deduct from people's book income. Um, you, uh, 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 you can deduct advertising and then send them their net receipts and, and do the accounting within something like Publish Drive or Draft or Digital. That's what we need for a collaborative software. So it'll be nice to be back to those monthly. I think now I found my rhythm of writing three days a week and having a day off on the Saturday, say day off, you know, doing a park run and then doing other jobs. Now I've found my rhythm. I can see from my schedule that this is going to be a nice rhythm doing this one interview a month. So I'll certainly commit to it till September and then we'll see where we are in September. But I'm really looking forward to to mopping up people that I'm dying to talk to uh, in, in those next five interviews on the, on the, the first Monday of every month. Okay, so uh, it's a bit busy, isn't it? Busy all week. Um, I've got, I went to a crime event yesterday at the local library. We had a local crime writer who I've met before at the crime and publishment, crime and publishment event at Gretna that I went to last year. He's a local writer and uh, I went to see him do a talk at the library. He's just, he's, he sold his rights for his book, one of his books, and he was just talking about how that's progressing with TV. He was also talking about, um, that the editing process and that his book had been through his agent. The what's the structural editor and the the copy editor, and they'd all missed one thing, 
but they'd all spotted that there was a problem that the dog hadn't been fed and no one was looking after the dog. So that was quite amusing to hear. And it was very interesting to hear about the, the rights process, that he sold the rights and that some, they, they get to a demonstration script and he still doesn't know whether it's going to be on TV or not. And it goes to a company and they have a meeting with the BBC and they've got actors in mind as well. So it was just very interesting to hear about that process. So um, I, I do go to library events. I've been to a few library events, but I do pick and choose. I like to make sure I get ones that are going to be uh, relevant to me. But that was good. That was yesterday on Thursday. And then here's something that um, it, that you'll find very interesting. And it was in last week's diary when I said to you that I've been listening to Brian Cohen. And actually, I've also been listening to Alyssa Grosso's podcast. And Alyssa has, um, she has an Etsy book. And she was just saying in her episodes that she sells more, or she, I think she sells her nonfiction book easier than she does her fiction. And this has been my findings with Amazon ads, that nonfiction sells easier than fiction. The reason for that is just keywords. It's just a simple, oldest time keyword scenario. That's that's why they sell easier. Um, and, and my my MailChimp books had been selling well as well before I took them off. And I, I got thinking last week, Brian Cohen has pretty well said the same, that he's selling more nonfiction than he is fiction. And I thought, well, I've got these two fiction books. I don't really want to rewrite them just yet. Um, maybe over summer I might rewrite them, but I can't be bothered to rewrite them just yet. And, and it got me thinking about why did I take those books off in the first place? And the reason I took them off was because we had GDPR coming in with the emails and we had the, what's it called, Gutenberg changes coming in WordPress. And I thought, oh, those changes are all coming in now. That's going to make those books obsolete. I can't be bothered to rewrite them at the moment. I'm doing other things. So I thought about it. I thought, well, actually, GDPR has come and gone. And of course, we've still got to observe GDPR. But actually, as it turned out, there wasn't that much to do with GDPR. We had a couple of things to do. We had to have a policy and this, that, and the other. But if you were doing legal and ethical email marketing already, GDPR wasn't that big a change for anybody. Just a couple of nips and tucks here and there. And the other thing is, of course, is that all the softwares have adapted now. So the softwares make sure you're GDPR compliant. And then with WordPress, of course, Gutenberg has come and gone now. And I can summarize my word, my Gutenberg and WordPress guidance to you in a sentence. And that is, don't use Gutenberg. Use the classic editor plugin and the classic editor is being maintained until December the 31st, 2021. So my advice to anybody using WordPress at the moment is just completely ignore Gutenberg. It's horrible. Um, use the classic editor just by putting this plugin in, and you won't have to think about it until December the 31st, 2021. And hopefully by then, they'll have either given up with Gutenberg and moved on, or they'll have got it to a state that people really like it and it's usable. But I, I really don't, it's my taste, but I really don't like Gutenberg at the moment. It's, it's a non-starter for me. Um, so what I did is I thought, right, well, I'd like to get these books out there and selling again. So what I did is I created a page at the front and back of each of those books. It's a single page in MailChimp. It's just a page about GDPR saying that here's MailChimp's guidance on it. But in actual fact, if you just set up MailChimp as per my guide, you'll be legal and compliant. Uh, here's the posh advice about GDPR. And here's a lady, I can't remember what her name was. There's a lady who I followed for GDPR, Suzanne something. And she did some great GDPR material when it was all coming out. And I've just put those links in and said, basically, though, just MailChimp have changed the software. It's GDPR compliant now. Just just do what you're supposed to do. Follow the instructions. So I put that page in at the beginning. And I put a page in at the beginning and the end of the WordPress book saying, Gutenberg has come and gone. That's the biggest change since I wrote this book. Here's my advice to you. Just do this and everything else still applies in the book. Um, and I, and at the beginning of those writings, I put this book is getting updated later in 2019. But in the meantime, here's what you need to know. And I just thought, do you know what? That covers the books. The books are fine like that. So I republished the books, inserted the pages. I got my Amazon proofs and they're up for sale again. And, um, and at the minute they were up for sale. I've started my Amazon ads again. So I'm going to try and get those books, hopefully selling through Amazon ads as nonfiction again. Now, if I can get those Amazon ads going, I've scheduled some time. I think it's near a summer. can't remember where it is, where I've got a bit more time. Oh, I know where it is. I've got, I've got quite a lot of disruption coming up where I'm taking my youngest child uh, having to run to exams for GCSEs. So that's the sort of thing I could do around that time. 
um, when I've got disrupted time, because non-fiction's a lot easier. You don't have to get in the zone with non-fiction like you do with fiction. Um, non-fiction, I can pick up, put down, pick up, put down. It's a lot easier for me. So I'm, I'm going to, uh, if I get subtraction with the Amazon ads on the old books, then I'm going to kind of revamp those books because they always sold pretty steadily. And actually they support the training that I do in my corporate life too. So I am back in non-fiction, which is great. So um, I'm not going to cheat my numbers, but that means that I've got 20 books out, but I, I, I want to do 20 fiction books. That's, you know, my 2020 goal. I want to have 20 fiction books out at least by March 2020. So I'm not going to cheat it. But in theory, I have I have had more than 20 books out. Okay, so where are we? I think we're nearly there. I've mentioned, oh, I know who I meant, wanted to mention. I just wanted to mention Edward Downward, um, who um, who did a, a good, really effective bit of, this is really effective Twitter networking, this is. Uh, Edwin has been batch cooking waffles and did a nice sort of picture of that on Twitter and then copied in me, Joanna Penn, Rachel Heron, Jay Thorne, uh, Jerry Avanoff. I don't know who at Goblin Writer is, but at Goblin Writer, whoever that is, presumably a podcast host or an author, and, um, you know, got a nice little reaction on Twitter. It was a very good, effective tweet that was um, for, for building your your own Twitter presence. Um, but I've put that tweet on but it's a it's a good that was a good tweet that Edwin that's a good networking tweet that is for for building your audience on Twitter um to post something interesting and not spammy and then to post it into people's different people's people who've got a platform to post it to their Twitter account so if you want a good example of a nice little tweet um that's a good example of it and if you just want to admire the pile of waffles there as I'm doing right now then you could do that as well so thank you very much again Edwin for tweeting this week uh that is it uh We've gone over the hour. By the time it's edited, it'll probably be just below an hour, I hope. So apologies, it's a long one, but there's so much news. I'm not even writing at the moment, but there's so much news. I hope you found that uh, useful. I will have another diary update for you next Saturday. In the meantime, have a fabulous week of writing, editing, or whatever it is you're doing. Bye-bye for now. Thanks for listening to Paul's Podcast Diary. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast feed to hear next week's update and find out how many words get produced over the next seven days. Until then, we hope you have a great week of writing.